When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today's episode of the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. You know, Pella, they're day one, man. They're, they're, they're day one homies for the Nick Bob Podcast. They've been with me from day one. And, you know, not only is Pella a great company, they got great people there. I went to school with my guy Vince, just a great dude. They're the kind of people you want to do business with. And if you've pushed off a project with some windows or some doors, something like that, now is the time to turn that project into a reality. Because we all know a new set of windows, a new door can do a lot of things for you. can change the look, the vibe, the feeling of your home. It can add value to your home. Plus, it can make your home more energy efficient. Pella checks all those boxes and then some. Pella can provide window and door solutions to any home. And again, working with the people at Pella, second to none. So hit them up online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And the Nick Bob podcast is powered by Runza. Runza has an app, and you need to download that app because as a father of two little kids, anything that can increase speed and efficiency when it comes to eating, I'm all for it. And the app does that. I can order food on the app, pop into the restaurant. It's ready for me. It's hot. I'm in. I'm out. I'm now like a finalist for dad of the year or something like that. And it's in large part due to the Runza app and ordering is a breeze on the app. You can customize your order. You can get all your favorites just the way you want them. Plus, you can earn points for rewards in the app. You can score free food from Runza in the app. So go download the Runza app. You can get Runza, get rewards, then get more Runza all on the app. Runza makes it all better. All right, welcome back into the Nick Ba podcast. It is Thursday, October 28th. Nebraska's bye week is done. Purdue is coming to town to take on Scott Frost's crew. Nebraska basketball had its first exhibition game on Wednesday night at PBA. I saw Creighton practice earlier this week. Hoops is just around the corner. So on this podcast, we got a lot to discuss. Uh, I'm going to get into kind of my thoughts with the current state of affairs with Nebraska football as you, as you kind of turn your attention to these final four games as this conversation around Scott Frost and his future is, has kind of gotten a little bit more heated and, and a little bit more intense. Um, I, I got a bunch of different things I want to touch on with that and kind of reset everything before we get into this four-game stretch run. Uh, I, I'm going to have my Creighton basketball and Nebraska basketball preview podcast coming soon. Um, but because I went to Creighton's practice and because I went to Nebraska's first exhibition game against Peru State, I have a few observations with what I saw both at Creighton's practice and Nebraska's exhibition game that I want to share with you. So we're going to get a little hoops talk as well, which is always fantastic. But we got to start the conversation on this pod talking some Husker football. So I want everybody to kind of take a deep breath and let's let's just reset this entire situation for Nebraska, Scott Frost, year four, Trev Alberts, year one as the athletic director where now we're eight games into year four uh, under Scott Frost. They're three and five. Certainly, it's been an emotional season, a variety of fronts. All five losses have been by one score or less. 
Uh, Nebraska, like I said, had their bye week. They now turn their attention uh, to these final four games, Purdue, Ohio State, another bye week, and then Wisconsin and Iowa to wrap it up. And it feels like there's a lot riding on these final four games as it pertains to Scott Frost and his future and and what Nebraska's ultimately going to do at the end of the year. Um, for, first of all, I want to vent to you guys for a bit about something that I'm upset about. And here's the thing. I'm not upset with anyone other than myself. I'm, I'm mad at myself. I've been mad at myself for like a week. I'm mad that I've allowed myself to hop on the roller coaster. I've kind of, in my mind, dubbed it the referendum roller coaster for Scott Frost and, and Nebraska football. I've really, really tried hard throughout this year, this season, to stay level-headed, right? Like, let the season play out. Let the, let the team play the games. Try not to get too high, get too low. Don't anoint Nebraska too quickly or write them off too quickly. I've tried to stay level-headed and just kind of continue to evaluate. Just continue to evaluate. And I've told you guys on previous podcasts, whether it's uh, the recap pods that I do with Bo Rood or, or any of my pods, I was kind of feeling pretty good about, re- feeling pretty good, relatively speaking, about Nebraska and the progress that they've been making this season, even in spite of the losses, even in spite of the three and five record, right? Like I had felt like since that Illinois game, Nebraska had been getting better and better and taking steps in the right direction. They had just lost games because they're playing undefeated top 10 teams. Like that's kind of what I chalked it up to, but I looked at Fordham. They took a step in the right direction. You look at Buffalo took a step in the right direction. Oklahoma on the road, even though they lost, I felt encouraged after that game. Same thing with Michigan State. Dominated them for pretty much 99% of the game. Cerny punts it the wrong direction, and they lose the game. Like, uh, there are a lot of frustrating things in that game, but overall, I walked away kind of going, eh, I feel okay. Then Northwestern certainly felt good about the team after that. Blowout, 56-7. to And then same thing with Michigan, where even though Nebraska lost, I felt decent about where things were headed. And then the Minnesota game happened. And I really, really hate that I hopped on the referendum roller coaster. Like, I hate that I'm letting one game completely alter what I had thought about this team and thought about this season. Because that's kind of silly to do, right? It's kind of silly to think because of four quarters of football, one way or the other, you're either a great team now or you're a terrible team now. It's like, yeah, I mean, there's more of a totality that you got to take into consideration. But because I do sometimes roll my eyes at, at fans and other media members that, that do that. But I found myself feeling that way after the Minnesota game. I, I, di- I found myself hopping on that referendum roller coaster. And because I've, I've said it before, like I can't stand how with, with Scott Frost this year, where I've jokingly said we all hold like a town hall meeting after every single game and we hold a vote on yay or nay on Scott Frost. Fire him? What do we think? We Fire him? We're going to fi- fire him. Town hall is adjourned. We fired Scott Frost after the Illinois game. And it's like, Northwestern game? All right, meeting's adjourned. We're, we're all in on him. He's the next Tom Osborne, right? Okay, yep, yep, all right. Meeting adjourned. He's the greatest thing ever. That's kind of what's been going on. Like, it, after every game, there's a town hall meeting. We vote yay or nay on fire frost, keep frost. It's going to work. It's not going to work. And it's just like, it's gotten annoying. It's kind of stupid. Uh, and I, I've I've kind of been frustrated with that. But there's a, there, there's a part of me that's 
been frustrated the past week that I felt like I kind of hopped on that train of being like, all right, now you got to have the big picture conversation. Like I was, I was feeling decent about the, the, the trajectory of the team through seven, seven games. And then the Illinois, the excluding the Illinois game. And then the Minnesota game happened and I had some bad feelings about it as, as a lot of you did. And I'm trying to shake myself of being on the referendum roller coaster right now. I'm trying to get the attention of the guy that starts it to let me off this roller coaster. I don't want to be like, gotta be level-headed. And in some ways the bye week was much needed for that, right? Like it was kind of nice to just have a weekend. No, no Husker football. Just relax. But with taking a deep breath in mind, like let's, let's reset it all. Cause I, I want to kind of state where I'm at. Here's where I'm at with everything with, with frost this season, the program, Looking at both how I feel and then the entire scope of the situation with what's going to happen and what has happened. Um, Because even though, here's the thing. Even though I don't like the referendum roller coaster, that doesn't mean that things aren't heating up around here, right? Like, I feel like you can you can acknowledge both those things. Like, I'm upset at the referendum roller coaster and and after every game having these wild swings for a lot of people. But that doesn't mean that things aren't heating up. Like, bottom line is, the the question of, is Scott Frost coaching for his job in the final four games of the season is probably a real one. It's probably a real one. And that's telling. That That's telling on how things are right now. So it it does feel like there's a lot on the line in these last four games, and it does feel like there's uh, some potentially, and people are already having them. I'm having them internally as I'm yelling at myself for a fictional roller coaster that I've created, but where people are having these big, emotional, uncomfortable conversations with Frost in the future of this program. So so let's kind of reset it. I'll, I'll start with this. Beyond what I think, because I think this is important to, to to make sure you're acknowledging this. Beyond what I think, because it, who, what I think doesn't matter. All that really matters is what Trev Alberts thinks. That's it. And, you know, a lot of the big power playing boosters and regents and all that stuff. But mostly it's Trev. Mo- mostly it's Trev. Like, that's all that really matters. And based on the quotes and the snippets and windows into, into Trev's mindset and what he thinks over the course of the last couple of months, I think he sounds like a guy that is behind Frost and supporting Scott Frost. I, I go back to that Andrea Adelson article in ESPN. I, I talked about it on the pod where it, it, to me, it sounded like a guy that was supporting Scott Frost, you know, Trev saying things like, I don't care about the first three years. I don't know what happened. All I'm focused on is here. And now me and Scott are on the same page. I'm proud of Scott and his staff. That sounds like support. So in my opinion, based on the quotes we've seen, not what we project, what, what Trev has said, to me, it sounds like he's behind Scott Frost and has no desire to, to make any sort of move. Because let's be honest, making a move, firing Scott Frost, that is a messy situation. I mean, firing a Husker legend in his first six months on the job, that's a decision that you only make if you absolutely have to, if you're Trev Alberts, right? Like, so I don't think he wants to do that. And I think his quote so far backed that up. Now, that doesn't mean that that he can arrive at a different opinion at the end of the year. He certainly can. 
but all you can go off of is what he has said in the moment. And what he has said in the moment, to me, sounds like he's pretty supportive. I, I think that's what it sounds like. Because one of the big things that he said, and, and it may not totally be fair, and it may upset some people, but one of the, the main things that he's, he said is that he, he, it seems like Trev Alberts is treating this like year one. Like he said that he doesn't, he doesn't know and doesn't even really care about what has happened three years before he got the AD job, which is a, again, another indicator of his timeline in his mind. And I think that's not entirely the right approach, but it's at least what he's saying publicly in a window into his thoughts. So I think, I think you need to, you need to understand and take what Trev is saying into consideration when you're evaluating this whole thing. And you know, you can be cynical and say, well, why, well, I don't know what Trev really means about that. Or what is he really saying with that? Like, I don't know. You you can spin and twist and try to read between the lines of what he's saying. I think the guy, everything he said up until this point sounds like an athletic director that's supporting his coach. And, and it sounds like a, a athletic director that, you know, isn't, uh, isn't wanting to make a move. So I think it's important to keep in in mind the the framing of Trev Albert's thoughts. But let me reset out reset kind of where I'm at with everything with with Nebraska. So again, I, I've I've said it before. I'll say it again. I've seen progress. I have. Now, to be fair and to be honest, that progress is relative to what happened the first three years on the field, and not relative to where I thought they'd be. Does that make sense? Like I don't think anyone thought that in year four of Scott Frost's tenure at Nebraska, they'd be grinding to make a bowl game, right? So progress is always relative to, to you know, the scale of, of kind of what you're looking at. But still, based on what I've seen, they've improved. When I think back to 2018, 2019, 2020, even at the start of 2021, and how they've progressed, they have progressed to me. They have taken steps in the right direction. But there's still, there's four games left. There's four big games left, and a lot can change from now until the end of the year. A lot can, good or bad. So that's why you still got to let the season play out. Got to just, I know it's hard. I know we all want to rush to the town hall, vote yay or nay. Gotta let the games play out. Let's, let's, see what, let's, see what, let's see what happens here. Because you can roll your eyes at this if you want, but Nebraska is in every game. They're in every game. The five and seventeen in one score games. I mean, that means twenty-two of their games have been by one score or less. I mean, you're in every game. Which, hear me in my heart. I'm not saying that is you know that's a great it, like th that's a great reason to keep Frost. Like I'm not saying that being in every game, it's like build a guy a statue and that's why you give an extension. Keep him. I'm not saying that. But to me, that should be some semblance of evidence that Frost is doing something right. And so. I think you can roll your eyes at that, but that's real. Now, I will say on the other side, when you take a step back, it is pretty disheartening that, A, the side of the ball that Scott Frost's expertise lies in is really struggling with the offense and been struggling pretty much the entire time he's been at Nebraska. And then, B, it's still the same issues plaguing this team since he's arrived. I said it before the season, and I'll say it again now. I said it before the season. When you know the issues, when you know what they are, heading into something, you sure hope that they get addressed and improved on. 
Not saying you expect them to, once you know the issues, to completely fix them and be excellent at them immediately, but it's reasonable to expect improvement. Like, from 2018, year one, to, to now, year four, the same issues are killing this team. Even Scott Frost has said as much in a roundabout way, saying it looks like the same movie, right? How many times have you given that same movie line? It looks like the same movie. Special teams, penalties, turnovers, although turnovers haven't been quite as big of a bugaboo this year, uh, but still turnovers, red zone issues, um, putting points on the board, can't win close games. It's very disheartening to have the same issues still exist for four years and not see much improvement in that department on the self-inflicted stuff. So while I've seen progress overall, I haven't seen enough progress in addressing those self-inflicted things. And that's disheartening and that's concerning. And you could argue that the lack of progress in those self-inflicted things is what's holding the team back in those one-score games. Again, 5-17. and 17. In games decided by one score or less since Frost has arrived. But at the same time, I still look at this team and I see this. Analogy time. You know, Scott Frost is talking about, you know, it looks like the same movie. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna use kind of a movie analogy here. So so think about a movie. Let, let's think about uh, the, a, a movie like A Few Good Men or The Departed. Think about movies like that. You look at those movies, great plot. Great script, great writing, great directing. Both those movies. But now imagine The Departed without Leonardo DiCaprio, Jack Nicholson, and Matt Damon. Or imagine A Few Good Men without Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson and Demi Moore, Kevin Bacon. Imagine without the, those cast of characters. Instead, those movies, let's say they have Vin Diesel, Jean-Claude Van Damme, Steven Seagal, and The Rock. Same script, same plot, same direct, but you don't have T. Cruz, you don't have Matt Damon, you don't have Leonardo DiCaprio, you don't have Jack Nicholson. Let's be real, those movies aren't going to be as good. Nick, what's your point? My point is this. You can have all the ingredients in place, but if you don't have the top shelf, the top shelf talent to take it over the top, it's not going to be as, as good, the end result. The Nick Bob Podcast is powered by Runza. You know, life is about great combinations. Jay-Z and Beyonce, me and Dana Altman, Dre and Snoop, Adrian Martinez and Austin Allen. Great combinations make life better. And the legendary combination of chili and cinnamon rolls is back at Runza. Runza's homemade chili with real ingredients combined with the sweet deliciousness of cinnamon rolls. It just doesn't get any better than that combination right there. As a lifelong Nebraskan, I've grown up having chili and cinnamon rolls. So it's it's a way of life for me, man. And Runza's chili and cinnamon rolls really symbolize the fall football season. And as that weather starts to get a little chilly, you know it's time to go get some chili and cinnamon rolls from Runza. Nothing better than on a cool fall day having a nice warm cup of chili from Runza. Mm, mm, mm. This legendary combination is only available for a limited time, so you know what you need to do. You need to get out to Runza today and get your homemade chili and cinnamon rolls game right. Runza makes it all better. I know we've had this talent discussion a thousand times with Nebraska, but it's still a real discussion. I still think the talent discussion is a real one. 
Nebraska doesn't have elite top shelf skill talent. They don't. Like that is an excusing all the losing because they have good enough players to win a lot of those games. But come on, don't BS me. I won't BS you. Nebraska doesn't have elite skill guys and elite skill guys, elite football players, first round picks, all Big Ten caliber players. Amir Abdullah, Levante David, and Dominican Sue, Rex Burkhead. Like elite dudes help you win some of those games. They just do. So there is still a real aspect of all that when it that that is a part of it. I mean, Ramir Johnson, like, come on, guys. Come on. He's fine. He's fine. But come on. Samari Ture, he's fine. He's fine. But come on. So they're, they're like, still, that's still a real conversation. Nebraska's margin for error is really thin. And if nothing else, great players just increase your margin for error. Like, great players make big plays late in games to win them. They do. Does does Nebraska, think back to, just you don't go that far back, but like, does Nebraska beat McNeese State without Amir Abdullah? No. Does Nebraska beat Northwestern without, I mean, even Amir Abdullah in, in 20, whatever that was, 2013, the Hail Mary game? Well, I mean, Mir Abdullah makes an all-world play on fourth down to get a first, fourth, first down to keep that drive alive for, so then the Hail Mary. And, oh, yeah, by the way, the guy who I just had on my podcast, Jordan Westerkamp, pretty pretty good player. Nebraska could use a guy like Jordan Westerkamp. He makes the play. He catches it in the end zone on the Hail Mary. Like, Nebraska won a game late uh, in the season in 2013 or 2014. Levante David makes a great tackle on, like, a fourth down. Like, guys, like, It's great players make the game-winning plays in, in in big games. They do. And great players also don't make the back-breaking mistakes with turnovers and penalties. Because sometimes we do this. I've talked to Dirk about this a million times. We do this thing with, like, penalties and mistakes. Like, it's anybody can can just – it's totally in your control to not make mistakes and not and not get penalties. It's like, yeah, I mean, kind of. But at the same time, good players don't – don't make mistakes. Like that's a part of being good. That's a, a part of it. You know what I mean? So yeah, not jumping off sides or holding or, or whatever. Like some of that stuff, you like, oh, you got to know better, but you also just got to be better at football. You just, you just do. So listen, the whole talent versus coaching thing has some validity on both sides. Cause again, let me, I'm, I'm certainly not suggesting that this is all talents, a talent issue. It's not all a talent issue. They have, they were talented enough to beat Michigan state. They were talented enough to beat Minnesota. They were talented enough to beat Illinois. Like, I feel like two things can be true at once. They were talented enough to win those games, but at the same time, if they had some elite players, some real dudes, we wouldn't be talking about how like this mistake here, that mistake there. You just guys would overcome it. So listen, coaching, can help win close games, no doubt. But good players also win close games too. 
So like I see progress. I also see the issues. I see it all. I, I think you know by now, listen to me, I do not want to see change. I, I'd like to see Scott Frost continue to be the head coach at the University of Nebraska. I think everybody should be in wait-and-see mode with making that decision. We don't have to go to the town hall, vote yay or nay after every game. We don't have to hop on the referendum roller coaster all the time. Let these final four games play out because other than Ohio State, I don't see a game they can't win. I mean, hell, they're favored, uh, uh, what, by a touchdown over Purdue? Touchdown. They're favored. So I don't see, other than Ohio State, I don't really see a game that they can't win. Of course, the opposite is true. Like, and that's what makes this situation tough because that's the thing that's lingering for some people of it's not out of the question. They don't win another game, though. It's because that's, if Nebraska, like, there's also that. If Nebraska loses out, and they're three and nine. I mean, damn. Like, that's damn near an impossible situation for Trev to bring back Frost in a lot of ways. Even though that kills me to say it, because again, I'm a fraud, I'm I'm in that frost camp, baby. I don't want I don't want to see any change, but damn, bro. Year four, four straight losing seasons, no bowl games. That's tough. That's tough. Bottom line, I'm in favor of keeping Frost, but that doesn't mean that I don't see a valid argument for the alternative. Sticking with Nebraska and the and the big picture discussion. So, you know, I, I had Mitch Sherman on my podcast. If you haven't listened to it, go check it out. It's on the podcast feed. Mitch was great, as he always is. But I, I talked with Mitch Sherman about this on my last pod, and he made he made a great point about it. Because the, the, the thing that I brought up is something that adds another wrinkle into this entire evaluation of the, of the situation in Frost, the state of the roster, the state of the program, is the roster. Like, when you peak towards next year, you, you look at who Nebraska is potentially losing and who they got coming back. And the thing that's a tough pill to swallow right now is there's a scenario where Nebraska is kind of rebuilding on both sides of the ball and taking a step back on both sides of the ball. Like you look on offense, if if Mar- if Adrian Martinez doesn't come back and maybe Austin Allen doesn't come back and Samari Toure is gone, like on paper, that side's taking a step back, and it's already not that good in terms of putting points up. And then you look on defense; there's a there is a chance they lose quite a bit. If you just look at it, they will either lose or could lose. JoJo Doman, Ben Stilley, Cam Taylor Britt could go pro. Deontay Williams, Markel Dismuke, Damian Daniels could go pro. Like, the, that's a big chunk of the core of this defense. So, at least on paper, that side of the ball could take a step back, which complicates this, this, this whole discussion and situation as well. And the other complicated thing with, with that in mind is the point that Mitch Sherman brought up as it pertains to pointing to kind of close losses that people talk about. It's like, man, they're close. They're right there. Like, we we do that all the time. They're right there. Well, saying they're right there only works and only kind of is valid if, A, uh, uh, the team you're talking about is young, 
or B, they're returning a bunch of those players. Because then you can play that card of, man, they're right there. They're learning from those losses. They're going to get over it. Well, right now, those close losses are, are, are kind of with a lot of veteran players. And even if they are learning, they could be gone, so they won't be able to apply the lessons, air quotes there, from the losses. I mean, think about it this way. I obviously follow Creighton basketball extremely close. The two examples of, of what I'm talking about are Doug McDermott's freshman year. This is Greg McDermott's first year at Creighton. Doug McDermott's freshman year, if you go back and look, they lost a million close games. They had Giants Managa, uh, they, they had Gibbs, they had Rogge, they, had all, they lost a million close games. They were, they were always right there at the end, couldn't win them. But they were young, they returned everyone, and the next year, they won those close games. Because you could only chalk it up that they learned from some of those losses. Even more recently, Marcus Zegarowski's freshman year, they lost a bunch of close games. They they were they were in a ton of games late, final four minutes, final three minutes, they'd fall apart and lose. But they were pretty young. They returned a good chunk of that core. The next year, they won the Big East regular season crown. There's a banner in the CHI Health Center. Nebraska doesn't really fit that in some ways they aren't of overly young team when you look at a lot of their big contributors in a lot of spots there's a chance like i just laid out that they could lose a good chunk of the core next year so sometimes it's hard to know what to make of those close losses in terms of projecting it as potentially a positive thing or a learning experience for for next year and again that that roster on on paper might take a step back thing is pretty nerve wracking, right? Cause you, you, you want to, you want to look into the future. You want to, you want to see progress. You want to see that it's coming, right? Well, a big part of that is thinking that, okay, next year they're going to, they're really going to take off. It's like, well, there's a scenario where they lose Adrian Martinez, Austin Allen, Cam Tiller, Britt, Damian Daniels, they're going to lose all the a bunch of different dudes, and now you're going well. Are they going to? Is it coming? Is it? I don't know. So I think sometimes you look at the roster situation, and that adds a layer to all this when you're kind of trying to sink your teeth into all of it as well. Speaking of the roster next year, Scott Frost hinted at this in his press conference last week that they are planning on taking more transfers uh, and junior college guys in this recruiting class. And that quote, and then the subsequent quote I read from Ed Cooley, was provided some pretty pretty good food for thought. So Ed Cooley, who's the head basketball coach for Providence, uh, I was reading uh, this, this college basketball preview stuff that I get, and he was talking about now with the transfer portal and how that's impacting building a team, building a roster. And Ed Cooley said, quote, we are building teams now, not programs. And I read that quote, and I was like, mm, mm, mm. I found that quote to be really interesting. We're building, we're not building programs, we're building teams. Now, to be fair, college basketball and college football and its roster configurations and, and all that aren't completely apples to apples, but I think the spirit of what he's saying is interesting and kind of applies, whether it's for the specific Nebraska situation or at large for football in general. 
I do think you're going to see a lot of roster turnover in college football. And you're already seeing it in college basketball. And those in college football and college basketball, when you're trying to be a developmental program, good luck if with the transfer portal and the one-time transfer thing and not having any roster continuity. I mean, what are you, you're, you're not developing anything, right? Like it's just because each year it might be a different cast of characters. And if you're one of those developmental programs, it could be killer for, for a program like Nebraska football. And it could be killer to football in general because there's kind of this non-negotiable level of patience that that must take place for players coming up in a program. Like, basketball's a little different. You see freshmen get on the floor and make a difference right away. You don't see it as much in football, but that you know, don't try and tell freshmen that. But because you feel like certain players might just hit the the exit door instead of having patience. And, and while I think that hurts Nebraska football in the long run, it could help Nebraska in the short term if Scott Frost comes back next year. Because the reality is, like we've been saying, if Scott Frost returns and he loses a lot, let's say he's coming back, but there's a lot of guys that are leaving. Let's say he loses Adrian Martinez and Austin Allen and Cam Taylor Britt and Damian Daniels along with all those super seniors on the defensive side of the ball. And then obviously still the realization that you need a real player at running back still. You don't have time to bring in a high school freshman and develop them. Scott Frost doesn't have that time. He, he, needs, he needs to win now. He needs to win now. It's like when I'm at Hy-Vee and I'm hungry and it's 5 o'clock. I could buy stuff to cook dinner. I could just go to like the Hy-Vee Chinese area and just get some Chinese food. And it's just, it's there. It's ready to go. I need to eat now. That's where Frost is at. You don't have time to buy all the ingredients at the store and go home and cook and let it, it he needs food now. He needs production now. So you, with that in mind, you need more ready-made contributors that can come in and make an impact right away, like Samari Ture. So that's where the transfer portal could be enormous for Scott Frost next year. And so I think you're going to see more schools really go hard that route in general. And certainly Scott Frost will with this upcoming class. Because if he comes back, he needs to win now. And the way you win now is probably going the transfer portal route rather than, you know, some guy that right now is currently has a curfew and is getting ready to go to prom in a couple of months. That's just how it is. But I thought that, I thought... When I listen to Frost quotes and then and then you listen to or that I read that Ed Cooley quote, building building teams, not programs. Whew. It's an interesting quote. All right, let me shift to some basketball stuff because speaking of the transfer portal and roster building. So when I want to talk about Nebraska basketball for a second, again, let me hammer this home. I'm going to have a full preview podcast for Creighton and Nebraska soon. I'm going to get super in-depth, deep dive uh, both teams. Um, so that that's coming up. But speaking of the transfer portal, one of my favorite podcasts are my guys Gary Parrish and Matt Norlander, Matt, Matt Norlander the Ion College Basketball CBS College uh, College Hoops podcast. They, it's a great podcast. You should go check it out. Um, but they made some really interesting points in their Big Ten preview when they got to talking about Nebraska and Fred Hoiberg. And they were talking about his recruiting approach. So, again, I want to make sure that this isn't like my original thought. This is, I think it was Gary Parrish that made this point. Shouts out to Gary Parrish and Matt Norland. If you, but this was the point they made. 
if you think about Fred Hoiberg's success at Iowa State, eight to 10 years ago, whatever it was, a big part of his success was his recruiting approach. It was unique. It was different. He was kind of the first coach at that time to go all in on transfers. Like, he was the transfer coach. Iowa State became the transfer program. And all of a sudden, Ames, Iowa, the Cyclones, they were different. They were unique because that's how he built his rosters with transfers. But nowadays, in 2021, with the transfer portal and the one-time transfer rule, that's no longer unique. Now, everyone is recruiting transfers. Everyone. So, everyone's recruiting the transfer portal. So, if you're Fred Hoiberg, so instead of only competing with a few schools that were in that transfer market, you're now competing with everyone, and most importantly, you're competing with the big boys. You're competing with the blue bloods. I mean, just look at like look at K- Kentucky, Kansas, Duke, North Carolina, UCLA, Texas. I mean, you basically just you go through the top ten to fifteen teams in the preseason AP top twenty five for this upcoming college basketball season. All these rosters are littered with transfers. It, they all have at least one. Often, sometimes they have three or four. Texas has like six, and they're a preseason top seventeen. So it's just interesting to see how Hoiberg's kind of transfer approach and his transfer thing was what made him unique and different in how he built his rosters is kind of no longer unique and different. In fact, everyone is doing it. If you're not doing it, it's like, what are you doing? So I'll be curious to see how that impacts Hoiberg. I still think he's going to be heavy in the transfer market. And he's so far still been pretty successful in the transfer market. I mean, you just look at his roster right now. Alonzo Verge, Arizona State transfer. Trey McGowan's Pitt transfer. Derek Walker, Tennessee. Lapman was started his career at TCU. C.J. Wilcher, Xavier transfer. Keon Edwards, DePaul transfer. Kobe Webster, Western Illinois transfer. So clearly, clearly it's still going to be his thing. But it appears like that market is about to get tougher and way more competitive. And that is why it is imperative that that Fred Hoiberg start to get it rolling and have some success with those transfer, those transfers, because you, you always want to have success stories to sell on the recruiting trail. Hey, this guy came in as a transfer. Look what he did. This guy came in. He transferred from the ACC. Look what he did. Hey, this guy transferred up from a mid-major. Look what he did. So I just... I just thought the points brought up by by Matt Norlander and Gary Parrish on the CBS and College Basketball Podcast were interesting to think about with Hoiberg. Really interesting. Got to take a quick break from the podcast to talk to you guys about BetUS because sports betting season, it's in full force right now. NBA just kicked off. NFL, full swing. College football, full swing. You got the Major League Baseball playoffs in full swing. And BetUS is the place to be. They got loads of bonuses. They got every single bet you could imagine. Player props, future bets. They got NFL odds updated daily. College football, NBA. They even got the UFC matches, any sort of golf, online casino, anything you can imagine. BetUS has you covered. Special promo code for you guys to take advantage of. You go use my promo code, Nick Baugh, N-I-C-K-B-A-H-E, all one word. You're going to receive 125% signing bonus by just using the promo code. Again, Nick Baugh, N-I-C-K-B-A-H-E. 
Go to BetUS.com. Sign up for an account today. Use their promo code. You can follow my lead. Get on your phone. Get it on your computer and get your BetUS bet game right, just like I do. BetUS, you bet, you win, you get paid. Bet US. Speaking of Nebraska, and again, I'll have full preview pod, so I'm going to deep dive this next week, but I'm just kind of dipping my toe into it right now. But I went to the Peru State exhibition game for Nebraska at Pinnacle Bank Arena on Wednesday night. A couple of observations. Um, I thought the two best players on the floor for Nebraska were Alonzo Verge and Derek Walker. Verge, in particular, the Arizona State transfer, really stood out to me. Um, when I watched him play at Arizona State, he I mean, he scored 40-some in a game uh, at Arizona State, against I think against Boise State. So you know he can score. He, he was always a little erratic to me. Um, I thought he was built to score. That was his mindset. But I was impressed with his point guard game in the exhibition. And Hoiberg needs that and needs it bad. Because for me, I wasn't a huge fan of Delano Banton running the point at Nebraska last year. Banton, to me, he's a nice player. Obviously, he's with the Toronto Raptors. He's you know got a unique skill set, 6'9", can handle the ball, all that stuff. But Banton, was he was slow with the ball. He massaged the ball. He didn't race it up the floor. I thought he slowed them down. And then he's, he wasn't a very good shooter. So, you know, when your ball handler, the guy that's got the ball in his hands, if guys are able to plug the lane and, and, and go under ball screens, it's hard. I mean, you better be like Rajon Rondo when that's the case. I mean, he's you know like an all-time passer, defender, playmaker kind of a guy. But Banton, to me, slowed them down, and they needed pace. And then for me, I've never viewed – Trey McGowan's, to me, is not a pure point guard. I think Trey McGowan's is better when he's at the two just in attack mode, just looking to score, looking to make plays. So – when I look at Nebraska, they need a point guard, man. They, they need a point guard to step up and run the show. And Alonzo Verge, for one night, I get it, it's one night, it's against Bruce State, but come on. For one night, he looked good in that mold. Like, I, it, I liked his mindset, I liked his approach. And when you look at Nebraska and you look at Hoiberg's system, Hoiberg's system needs a point guard that, A, is fast with the ball and can push the pace. Alonzo Verge is fast with the ball. He can push the pace. And then they also need a guy that is really good in ball screens and understands defense, help defense, hedges, weak side help. It can make all the reads and make all the plays. And Alonzo Verge, anybody that watched that game, it was on BTN Plus or if you're at Pinnacle Bank Arena. I mean, he he came in the game, hit Derek Walker on about three, four pick and rolls and made a bunch of nice reads in ball screen situations. Like, he really, really handled the ball well in ball screens from a decision-making standpoint. And the bottom line is that Nebraska wants to play fast and they want to set a lot of ball screens. You better have the right point guard to play that way. And Alonzo Verge, at least for one night, looked like he was showing signs that he could be up to the challenge for that. I've always felt like Verge is a guy that's wired to score, like he wants to score. But if, if Fred Hoiberg can get him to think about running the team and pushing the pace and making reads and kind of setting the table for, for his teammates and ball screens and all that stuff, it's massive. I can't express how important that is. In fact, like he may not be Nebraska's best player, 
But with Alonzo Verge's skill set and what Nebraska needs at that point guard spot, you could argue he's Nebraska's most important player. He he had a good night. I liked that when you take it all into consideration. And then the other guy that stood out to me was Derek Walker. Um, he looked thinner to me. I thought he looked lighter on his feet. I thought he just he was moving well. Uh, and listen, Nebraska needs Derek Walker to have a big year because the Big Ten is loaded with the elite five men. I mean, the Big Ten, it's ridiculous. It's You look at Kofi Coburn, Hunter Dickinson, Trace Jackson Davis, Travion Williams. Those four guys are all like All-American candidates. In fact, if you look at the preseason All-American teams, those four guys show up on almost every first and second team. Those are four, five men in the Big Ten. Kofi Coburn, Illinois, Hunter Dickinson, Michigan, Trace Jackson Davis, Indiana, Travion Williams, Purdue. All-American caliber dudes at the five. Not to mention Zach Eady, another five-minute at Purdue. Kudus Wahab, Georgetown transfers heading to Maryland. Like, I could go on and on, but you get it. Like, the big, you, you better have a dude that can hang in there at the five if you want to survive in the Big Ten. If you got, if you got a, if you're eh, at, at the five spot, you're going to get your ass kicked, which is kind of what has happened. Ivan Udrago and, and uh, like, they were, they weren't very good at the five the first two years in the league. They weren't very good in a lot of different ways. COVID had a lot to do with it last year. First year, they just didn't have the talent, wasn't up to par. But a big part of it was Big Ten's, where the Big Ten was strong in the post at the five, was where Nebraska was weak in the post at the five. So, you you bet, if you don't have a dude at the five, shit, you're in trouble in the Big Ten. Especially when you play those top teams. You, you better, you're in trouble. You are in trouble. But I thought Derek Walker had a really good day. I've always kind of liked Derek Walker. He's not a great player. You know, he's not he's not as good as those. You know, he's not an all-Big Ten guy. But he's good. He's smart, knows how to play, plays hard, good passer. Um, he gives him a chance to hang in there. Now, he's not going to go, you know, give it to Kofi Coburn. and You know, but he's gonna, I think he can go hang in there. Like, Derek Walker's massively important. I thought he played well, which is encouraging. One final thought on Nebraska. You know, it's funny. So in preparing for uh, for this college basketball season with what I do with with uh, with Fox and and doing some Big Ten Network stuff as well, the and, and diving into some deep prep stuff for college basketball, national college basketball stuff, but really in particular the Big East and the Big Ten because those are the two leagues that I cover with Fox and BTN. When I look at the Big Ten, uh, Nebraska to me has got a little bit of a window of opportunity here to move up in the standings. And you may be going, what? They got, what? You think they're better than Purdue? And, no. No, I'm talking about the bottom of the Big Ten standings. I mean, Purdue, Illinois, Michigan, Ohio State, like those teams are pretty good. I mean, they're preseason top 15, top 20 teams. But I think they have a window to move up in the standings because I think the bottom of the Big Ten is, is a little down. You know, for years we've talked about the depth of the Big Ten and just how good it is, one through 14, all that stuff. This year, the top is legit. Top six, seven teams, pretty good. The bottom, the bottom of it, yeah. Like, I think Iowa's taking a on paper right now might take a step back. No Luca Garza, no Joe Wieskamp. You look at Wisconsin, they lose a lot. You look at Minnesota, they got a new coach, Ben Johnson. Total rebuild. They're going to struggle a little bit. They don't return anybody of note. Penn State's in a little bit of a rebuild. Northwestern, 
I mean, I like Boo Booey and a couple of those guys, but they got some intriguing pieces, but they still aren't great. They lost Miller Cop, who was one of their best shooters with size. He transferred to Indiana. They're still not great. So I say all that to say I think Nebraska's got a real shot to leap all those teams that I just mentioned, which gets you to the kind of the middle of the pack of the Big Ten. Like, I don't think Iowa, Wisconsin, Penn State, Minnesota, Northwestern, I don't think those teams are going to be great this year. And if Nebraska finishes ahead of them, you're in eighth or ninth place in the league, which to me is definitive progress for Nebraska. You got to walk before you run. You got to crawl before you walk, all that stuff. The, the question is, though, is Nebraska good enough to be better than all those teams? I don't know. It's still so, it's, you know, we got to see what this team, you know, Let's see what happens when they get out there and, and the bullets are really flying and the lights are on and they have to deal with some adversity. Let's see what they can do. Again, on paper, there's no doubt this team's talent level. They finally got some, some returners. They got a little bit of continuity. They were able to have a full off-season of workouts and conditioning and going through practice and learning what Coach Hoiberg wants and learning Doc's defensive system and all those things. Like, There's a lot of things that they didn't have the first two years that they have now. Talent, legit off-season, all those things. But still got to go out there and earn it and go do it. But good opportunity in front of Nebraska. It's going to be a fun year. It's going to be fun to find out. And, and with Creighton, again, I'll have a full season preview of the Jays. Um, I'm going to take a deep dive. Deep dive. That's, that's coming up in the next week or so. But I was able to go. I went to Creighton's practice earlier this week. And, you know, sitting there and observing. A couple of thoughts, a couple of, of things to, to share with you. Three guys stood out to me. Just sitting there. Sometimes it's good to do. Just walk into a gym. Who pops? Don't outthink it. Don't come in with any pre preconceived notions. Come in, take a seat, watch. Who who do you go? Woo, who is that? The Dick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. And I want to talk to you guys about energy efficiency. And if you go into Pella's website right now, you look at it. And how about this? One, two, three, four, five different types of windows or doors by Pella. Won the Energy Star 2020 Most Energy Efficient Award. That's big time stuff right there. And they achieved that in a couple of waves. They got insulated glass, which slows the heat transfer, keeping your home at a more comfortable temperature. They got types of low-E glass, which is a glass coating that has been optimized for your climate. They got triple-pane glass, which you can upgrade to for increased insulating airspace. And within all of that, one of the keys is proper installation, which is key for window and doors to perform at their best. And you know the Pella experts are excellent at that bottom line energy efficiency matters and making your home more comfortable and Pella windows and doors are at the top of the line when it comes to energy efficiency check them out online PellaOmaha.com that's PellaOmaha.com or who keeps catching your eye who popped three dudes popped to me Arthur Kaluma, Ryan Nemhard, and Keyshawn Fizel. those three guys were the three dudes that popped to me Arthur Kaluma, 6'7 220 pound freshman four star top 50 top 60 recruit He's, dude's got a, I don't know how to say this, but he's got a great body. <laughs> he's, he's a good looking dude, man. He's got a great basketball body. He's long. He's athletic. He's versatile. He's strong. You know, you think freshmen like Bryce McGowan's needs to eat some cheese runzas to get some weight on. And so he can delve out some punishment. Arthur Kaluma, he's going he's gonna to grow man some dudes, even as a freshman. I mean, he, I like Kaluma a lot. Ryan Nemhard, six foot, four star point guard. Dude is just fucking smooth, man. Smooth operator. Like the game is just easy for him. 
he makes it look easy. That's what great that's what great players do. They make it look easy when it is not easy. Hit He's just got a, uh, one of the things you look for in freshmen is like when they go on the floor, does it look like their mind's going a million miles per hour? They got happy feet. They're jittery. They're thinking about a million things or, or are they just cool? Ryan Nemhard, cool. Just, he, he gets to his spots with ease. He's, he's playing chess and ball screens, reading stuff. He can really pass. He's really fast with the ball. He's a winner. His team won the national championship at high school last year. Uh, he just looks comfortable and confident on the floor, which is really important, like I said, for a freshman. And he just, he's only doing, he looks like the perfect fit for what Greg McDermott wants to do. He, the one thing I had to give Coach Mack, dude has found the right point guards from, you know, you go back to, you know, whether it's kind of in different ways, uh, Austin Chapman and, and Grant Gibbs, perfect. Then Maurice Watson, perfect. Marcus Zagorowski, perfect. Like, he he's hit on that. And then I'm telling you, Ryan Nemhard, perfect. Perfect fit. He's dudes too good to not have on the floor a lot. And then the last dude was Keyshawn Fiesel. And 6'9 transfer. He's a senior. He was at Mississippi State, start his career. Then he was at McNeese State. Uh, not going to lie, I, I'm, I thought he was just one of those guys you take as a backup five-man because you need a body. Like, we need another guy with size. Let's bring in this guy. We just need another dude. We need another body. We need four fouls if our starter gets into foul trouble. Like, not gonna lie, I kind of thought, okay, he's he's just a body. No, he's not. He's he's way more than that. Like, watching him, he can really move. Uh, he he was light on his feet. He looks like a really good athlete, blocking shots, rebounding, playing above the rim. He's got some skill as well. Uh, he's he jumped out at me. He really jumped out at me. And so the interesting thing with Creighton to kind of wrap this whole thing up. That'll be interesting to watch. It's going to be interesting to watch Coach McDermott kind of navigate from a personnel standpoint just this situation. Four of their top five or six guys are Arthur Kaluma, Sharif Mitchell, Ryan Nemhard, and Ryan Hawkins, the 6'7 Northwest Missouri State transfer. Sharif Mitchell and Ryan Nemhard both played point guard. That's what you would list them as. And you could argue that Arthur Kaluma and Ryan Hawkins both are at their best at the four spot. I've talked about this a little bit, but it's worth it's worth repeating. How does Coach McDermott, the reason I'm repeating this is when you see it, it really jumps out at you. How does Coach McDermott maximize all those guys' minutes and strengths when the other guy plays a similar position? I think it's actually pretty easy to play two point guards together. Lots of teams do that nowadays. So I'm not as worried about finding a way to get Sharif Mitchell and Ryan Nemhart on the floor together, although it's maybe a little bit concerning when you're that small. You'd have two six-foot guys on the floor. But Sharif, I think, can he plays bigger than six-foot because he can guard bigger guys. So I think it works to have Nemhard run the point guard spot and Sharif Mitchell run the two. But it's still, you know, you got you to find a way to piece all that together. But the Kaluma-Hawkins situation will be interesting to navigate from a rotation standpoint. I think a big part of this season is kind of figuring out how to maximize your front-line minutes between Kaluma and Hawkins at the four and then Kalkbrenner and Keyshawn Fazell at the five with also knowing that you could you may want to play small ball to steal some minutes with Hawkins at the five so you get Kaluma in the game and you want your good players on the floor together in Kaluma and Hawkins. Like, it, that's a lot to digest. I get it. 
but I just think it's going to be interesting and important to see how Coach McDermott na- navigates that stuff in figuring out rotations, uh, lineups, what works, making sure you're not squeezing some guy's minutes and he's not getting on the floor enough or, or whatever. Sometimes basketball gotten to where, you know, you don't outthink yourself, just find who's your, who's your best five, put them on the floor, make it work. I think when push comes to shove, Greg McDermott's probably going to do that. You know, so I mean, there could be lots of times where you see Hawkins, you could see Hawkins and Kaluma and Nemhard and Sharif Mitchell on the floor at the same time. You just make it work, figure it out, which I think they could. But, you know, you still have other guys you got to get on the floor too, right? Like, so it's a, it's just interesting. That's what with all these new faces, you, you saw it with Fred Hoiberg too. I mean, he subbed a ton in the exhibition games. You got to figure out, you, you know, the great thing about having depth is, you know, not, you can't play 10 guys, you can't play 11 guys. You 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 got to trim that rotation down. I've always felt like the ideal spot is to play about eight guys, seven guys. To be honest with you, play you know four or five guards, three bigs. Call it a day. It's going to be hard to trim down. I think it's it'd be interesting with what Fred Hoiberg does, and it's certainly interesting with what what Greg McDermott does too. Um, but yeah, figuring out how to get all your best players on the floor when two, when four of them kind of all kind of log jam. So we'll see, but it was good to see the Jays practice. It was good to see Nebraska get on the floor. And, you know, I, again, I'm going to get more in depth with some of these, uh, these, these Creighton preview pod, Nebraska preview pod coming up, but just uh, some quick observations for you guys. Reminder, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please do. And if you haven't subscribed to the YouTube channel, please do it helps me out why you do it leave a five-star rating leave a review um again husker game recap we'll be back over the weekend bo root will be in studio we'll recap the purdue game uh so keep an eye out for that and like i said i got some college basketball stuff coming i'm going to do a national college basketball preview uh pod i'll do a creighton preview nebraska peer review i got i mean i'll have you totally set for uh for, for hoops when it kicks off in, gosh, under two weeks now. So lots of good stuff coming with the podcast. So please subscribe to the pod. I appreciate you listening. appreciate you watching. We'll catch you next time on the Nick Bob Podcast. A Huda Media Production.